Before we begin the MWA podcast, I'd like to do a little uh, shout out to the Texas Woodworking Festival. That's being held April 6, 2019 in Austin, Texas. Both Diami and I will be there, and for more information, please visit texaswoodworkingfestival.com. There'll be a number of great local Texas area makers, as well as uh, exhibitors there. Um, those include uh, folks like Philip Morley, uh, Leslie Webb, and uh, exhibitors like uh, Texas Heritage Woodworks, Lee Nielsen, and Dowd Toolworks, probably the uh, premier vintage uh, supplier of tools in the uh, Texas area. So, for um, like I said, for more information, please visit uh, TexasWoodworkingFestival.com. Tickets are only $15, and that ensures you a access to uh, all the activities, as well as a raffle ticket and an open bar. Again, TexasWoodworkingFestival.com. Look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and welcome to the 234th episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Kyle Barton of Waterfront Windsors, and I'm here with my co-host Sean Wisniewski of The Corner Workshop. And tonight we're visiting with JT of DFM Toolworks. So welcome to the show, JT. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Kyle. Appreciate you and Steve having me on, or Sean, sorry. (laughs) I've been called worse. I'm going call tonight. Oh, not a problem. Not a problem. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. Well, um, before we get into to more of what you're doing, and uh, anyone that's familiar in the Instagram world, I'm sure is uh, uh, knows the DFM Toolworks and um, some of the stuff he's working with Mark Spagnolo, the Wood Whisperer, with. But uh, before we get into that, um, let's talk a little bit about things that have piqued our interest. So, I guess I'm gonna, uh, Sean. Do you have anything? I don't, but I like what you've got in there. Um, okay. Well, and and I've been kind of away from from most things and uh, just staying busy elsewhere. Okay. But this is the first I'm seeing that Charles Neal is uh, having some surgery. That's not yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. I got uh, subscribed to his. Um, I guess I'm on his email list. But uh, you know, I think everyone's pretty familiar with Charles Nil, and mm-hmm. I got an email uh, last week that uh, he was going to have quadruple bypass surgery. Mm-hmm. So our well wishes and thoughts and prayers go out to uh, to him. I haven't heard anything. I think that surgery is supposed to happen like last Thursday or Friday, and I haven't seen any updates. But um, you know, Whoa, I hope everything went well. Yeah. Um, now on the lighter side, um, I found a new drill bit that I really love for chair making. Um, so this, this is one of those big aggressive auger bits. Kind of, um, (laughs) it's, uh, it's a type F bit is what they call it. And it's by a Japanese manufacturer known as star M. And I just happened across these bits and, it looks kind of like a twist bit, but mm-hmm. it um, has a little nub at the very tip of it. And they promised it had very uh, clean exit holes without having a backer board. So uh, I looked at it. And I went, yeah, this sounds interesting. But the only place I could 
find it. I could not find a U.S. distributor for it. The only place I could find it was out of England and a um, company there, or I guess a woodworking uh, supplier called uh, Workshop Heaven. Mm-hmm. And um, they were really inexpensive, like, I don't know. I think I, I got the five eighths because that's the most common size I used to drill legs out for. And I think it was like uh, with the exchange rate, like 12 bucks. Oh, wow. That's yeah. That's and then with and then shipping with shipping, yeah, with shipping from England, it was like 20 bucks. And I go, well, that's worth a try if it's going to give me some clean exit holes. So um, went ahead and ordered it came within under a week from England. <laughs> I mm. thought that was pretty impressive. Pretty good. Yeah, and I went down and uh, I posted. I put a post on Instagram about some uh, some holes I drilled with both that and a standard the standard um, a Brad Point bit that I use. Which mm-hmm. the I standard, saw that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it lived up to everything they said about it. Very so very clean exit holes. The what I noticed, and you you posted like a mm-hmm. good side by side, you know. Of, mm-hmm. Of the bits and the holes, fronts and backs, all that good stuff. Um, what I noticed, uh, unlike your other, um, your other auger bit, your comparison, it didn't have those pawls sticking out of the the very front of it to that would normally score the edge of the right. hole, right? Um, which may be the cause of a lot of their things. It did much like a twist bit, look like it kind of coned up from yep. the point until the cutting edge. I, that's interesting. As far as is it is it as easy to start as well? Yeah, that that's I think with the little kind of nub, I don't want to call it a point because it's not really. It's kind of a, a nub. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you know, if you have a it marked with a all or something, it's really easy to get it in there and it starts and you can feed it. It doesn't have a screw on it, so you can feed it as fast or slow as you want. And um, what I was really impressed with with was the exit holes. Yeah, now, I wonder because I mean the the, the screw. The screw type ones that have that basically a bit of threaded section in the front of it, those tend to really grab yeah. and and you'll you'll yank your wrist hard. You know if they yeah. pull you down and bite real hard. I mean, there's some. Is it is smoother operation all told because you're kind of more in control mm-hmm. of it in that way? Yeah, it's 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 real smooth. I mean, it wasn't any difference than using my uh, long pointed Brad points, and the reason I got a long point on them is so I can crank them at an angle if I need to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's recommended. I think um, uh, Peter Galbert originally came up with this, and these bits are another real similar to another one that's in Peter Galbert's book called a Bismarck bit, but. Um, that's all the good news. Now, Star M, like I said, is a uh, manufacturer out of Japan. They're, they are also the manufacturer of wood owl bits, which I'm sure you've heard of. I have. And that's usually the name for the states they go as wood owl. So um, I was really interested in getting some of their smaller bits, like if you're drilling through a, uh, a, a, I guess, a back post rail or something like that for a Windsor chair, like in a a uh, balloon back chair or um, something of that nature, you know, it's really hard to get a backer board behind that. So you kind of got to, you know, do your best with a Brad point And really, um, I think one thing that works well and I've had good results with is uh, Pete Galbert uh, recommended you put your chuck setting on like two when you're drilling. And mm-hmm. as soon as it comes through the other side, it'll lock up and then you raise the bit up, speed it up, and then you can go through with minimal blowout. 
but um, I was really looking forward to getting some of these bits for that type of operation because I think that would be very good because on those curved pieces, it's real hard to put a backer board. Also, if you're drilling through uh, a through spindle or something like that, um, you know, it's kind of hard to put a backer board on a curved uh, piece. So mm-hmm. um, that's all the good news. The bad news is I think these things are discontinued. Uh, so I was just looking on, on the site, not yeah. that they're – well, the because it's all metric, the nine yep. millimeter and the twenty millimeter are out of stock. Everything else looks appears to be in stock on that yeah. Woodshop Heavens site, but yeah, um, I wonder why. I don't know. Well, I sent some emails out because uh, Woodshop Heaven did have one listed as a nine point five millimeter, which is basically a three eighths, which is very popular, and that's the one I wanted. So I emailed them and said, "Hey, are you going to get any more of these in stock?" And I got an email back from them that said. Um, no, we're not. And then I noticed when I went out to their website, they had deleted the 9.5 millimeter off their yeah. site. <laughs> I was like, great. And so I also sent an email to, um, the manufacturer star M and they forwarded over to their, um, U S division, which was, uh, Wood Owl. And uh, a guy, a gentleman there sent me an email said, no, I don't know whatever happened to those F type bits. Wow. So, needless to say, I went into Workshop Heaven and ordered a whole bunch of bits. Um, uh, when was that? That was yesterday. So, ordered about four bits. Um, mm. I really would like to find a 9.5. Now, there um, do have a Instagram follower um, out there that um, emailed that uh, sent me a direct message. And I uh, think he's in the service and he's stationed out in Japan and said he'd keep an eye out for me. So, <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe maybe it's a, just a distribution issue. Yeah, to, I, to the well, English I went store. to the Star M's website, uh, both their Japanese oh. version and English version, and couldn't find a uh, couldn't find them on there either. So, man, yeah. So there's All good right. news and bad news. If you're interested in these bits, um, you know, you can make the conversion yourself on the on the type you use, and I'd look for sums that you know you use doing a through hold where you're worried about blowout on the back side and uh, go out to a, uh, you know, workshop heaven and order up quick. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. In in other tool news, uh, what's going on with crucible tools and their dividers? Yeah. Um, crucible, um, which as most folks may know that uh, Chris uh, Swartz is a uh, co-owner in and is uh, making tools. Um, they came out, one of their first tools they came out with was, was these gorgeous dividers and apparently they're going to discontinue them. Uh, and it's mainly due to the cost. In fact, Uh, they're, they're off their website currently Yeah, already. So they're out and man, those things were, I mean, very appealing. I almost pulled the trigger and got some when I first announced them. Yeah. I was lucky enough when I was, uh, had a class at, um, Chris Schwartz's, um, a storefront, I don't know what, nine, almost a year ago now, uh, nine months, I guess. Um, I was able to pick up some there, so I was lucky. But basically, he said, you know, they're just too expensive to make. And if they were to recover all their costs with all the uh, assembly time and finish time on them, they would cost about $300. And he's not going to sell $300 dividers. So, mm-hmm. till they can find well, a better way of doing it. Well, the whole thing about, I think, I mean, I don't know how classically they were patterned 
they seemed incredibly robust and from what i could mm-hmm. tell they they were you know milling these out of solid billet and yeah. not you know and so yeah that is an exceptionally costly uh program to to manufacture with especially yeah. on the small scale that they operate like yeah. they're not selling millions of these things they're probably selling dozens if not maybe a few hundred yeah they tend to sell out all of their tools tend to sell out as soon as they post them but i know there's a lot of handwork involved in them which is you know costly a lot of finishing and polishing yeah it it says in their post that they have parts for 60 that they will assemble and sell when it satisfies demand for the for the hammers. So mm-hmm. they're like they're they're balancing labor and everything in this, as right. far as I can tell. Yeah. Well, so uh, anyone that has some, you know, I want to hang on to them. Could be a collector's item. Heck yeah. So, and um, lastly, and real quick, I I know we've been giving some grief to woodpeckers, so mm-hmm. I want to give them some props. And uh, they just came out with a one-time tool called the Woodpecker's Clamp Racket System. And it's one of those clamp racks. And um, it's it's kind of modular. And it's really not that expensive when you look at a good solid rack. It's one of those racks that comes out from the wall so you can score, store a whole lot of clamps in a small, small footprint. And um, I think their base one is like 130 bucks, which... Um, based on what this looks like, that looks like a, a real fair price for it. Well, I mean, with yeah. the whole modular bit, I'm again, I can surf yeah. pretty quickly. Uh, they're single rack, like mm-hmm. which could hold I don't know how many clamps, maybe six uh, F style or uh, parallel style clamps. Mm-hmm. It's only thirty bucks. Yep. And so, yeah, then your two pack is sixty, and then there's a four pack for one hundred and twenty. I mean, they're not they're giving you much break on quantity, but. Um, so that, that basically it's like a it's a, a single metal piece that looks like you attach the back and it's wide enough to hit the the bar of your parallel style clamp sideways. Mm-hmm. And so I mean we've seen that style. I mean people have made these. You can make them out of wood if you want, sure. But um, yeah, they, I mean they seem very nice and sim- simple enough. You know. Yeah. Yeah. My, is my... that and that is their own thing? They're not reselling that. Yeah, they got it as a one-time tool that, um, uh, I believe it's a one-time tool. Maybe it's not a one-time tool. Yeah, uh, item number, crap it rack, so multi-delivery. No, it's not a one-time tool. I yeah. stand corrected. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so it is It is a new system that they're coming out with. But, yeah, I mean, if, you know, I've, I've made shop-made racks for all my clamps out of wood, um, but they definitely take up a lot more space than this wood. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, it's uh, pretty cool. It's not bad. So you yeah, know, I, I I myself have made. I could look at them, but I I did the whole. Uh, so the backs of the clamps are against the wall and stack them, kind of like Mark Mark did one a video years ago on a clamp rack. Mm-hmm. So it's like a shelf on top, and then a little cleat underneath that you slide them into grooves along the way. This is the the more compact way of doing that, where you can stack six in the space of pretty much one. Right, you know, just just there, and you space them out so far so that you can just put a whole row, depending on how many clamps you happen to have. Exactly. So, so just wanted to throw some uh, props out to them. So, uh, anyone that that's looking for a clamp storage solution, uh, I would encourage you to take a look at the woodpe- woodpecker's clamp racket system. Easy for, sure. for me to say. For sure. So, 
So um, with that, let's get into what's in the shop. So, Sean, what are you working on? Absolutely nothing. I told you already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying so, busy otherwise. No, um, no. What, what did I do? I did. Oh, no, I did some drywall finishing. Don't worry about that. That's that's a long, long standing project that needs to do more work on. But uh, yeah. just had to had to. I'm to a point. It's my son's room that, that we renovated last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, his room inside is done, but the the inside part of the house that used to be a door there uh, is still just bare drywall. And now that his door is hung on it and everything, I've got to take his door down, take the hardware down because it's a sliding barn style door mm-hmm. to do any work on it. So it becomes a bit of a fiasco. Hmm. And the fact that I barely have two hours of any given day to do anything. So it's uh, I, I jumped on it and did another code. I had to do actually a repair on, on the mounting rail of the door. but uh, And nothing too sexy to talk about there, unfortunately. How about you, Kyle? What do you got going on? Well, um, Europe, years. Yeah, probably years ago. Probably at least two and a half years ago. I built a uh, lathe. Uh, rack a lathe rack a lathe stand for my uh, little jet midi lathe Mm -hmm. and um since then i built it with a couple of drawers in it and uh, since then i've had to actually modify that stand because i needed the extension piece to the lathe which i put on and i never did enclose the bottom of the stand to add some additional storage so i finally did that Mm -hmm. um so i got that done but Mainly, I've been uh, getting my house ready to sell. I think I've mentioned a couple of times we're thinking about uh, moving out to the hill country. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm spending most of my time is doing touch-up paint here and there and digging through closets and trying to figure out what we can give away, throw away, put in storage, whatnot. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. The, the other interesting thing that I did um, was I was on – I was – since we're thinking about moving, I've been, I don't know if we're going to buy a house or build a house. So I've been looking at a bunch of these uh, YouTube videos on housing. And there's just one uh, YouTube, I think it's called The Build, Build or Just Build. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's pretty interesting. The guy's out of Austin, so that's relevant to uh, to where I'm moving. So I've been listening to some of his, what uh, some of his um, YouTube videos. And... He uh, had something on thermary wood, which is, I think, you're familiar with the wood that they heat treat, uh, you know, get it up to, I don't know, 200, 250 degrees, whatever it is. And it and uh, then it works and acts just like wood, but it's not treated wood, but it resists rot and insects and all of that. So, mm-hmm. And I was looking at that, and they were using it, you know, for outside of buildings, you know, commercial buildings and everything. Uh, you know, out in the weather and rain, I said, I bet that stuff would be great to make some of those outside uh, furniture, farmhouse tables, whatnot, that you would, you know, leave outside. Mm-hmm. So um, I got in touch with the company um, through their website, and they sent me a nice little box of sample pieces. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to go through that because I'm going, how thick can you get this? And maybe I should reach out to, um, oh, um some other manufacturers or so to see how thick you can get it. But this one bad, it was probably, uh, they sent me some, some pieces that were almost seven, eight inch thick, which you could probably do a tabletop with that. Yeah. I mean, any chance of laminating it if you couldn't yeah. or, 
Well, at seven eighths, I mean, you got to think of any most picnic tables are pretty much made out of two by material. Yeah. So you're you're not too far off. Right. And and depending, I mean, how how big your uh, your I mean how yeah how robust of a table are you trying to make? I guess. Right. But yeah, I mean, and your your uh, what will stand up to outdoors in your environment is completely different in my environment. Oh um, yeah. So you're more of the baking sun and heat and well where you currently are the humidity of new, being near the, yeah. the bay right so mm-hmm. hmm. so but i thought it i thought it was interesting i might uh uh play around with that and and um see what comes of it but uh yeah i might have to go out to some different manufacturers and see if you know it'd be great if i could get something like that in two by material but yeah, it looks. I mean, on their site, they add, they have decking, cladding, and porch flooring, which pretty much doesn't quite get you into building material thickness like two by necessarily. That's more mm-hmm. cladding stuff. Where about yeah, if you can get seven eighths, that's pretty good. Yeah, of course. Maybe I maybe I should reach out to Shannon Rogers. He could probably get me the whole lowdown quickly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, if they if they deal with it, I mean that's we did my dad's deck in Epay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got that through through him. Um, well, that was actually probably right when he about started with that company. But um, that was, I mean, that was decking material that came in. It was five quarter. Mm-hmm. You're basically the same. You know, it's thick enough, but you know, depending on how rigid it is, you, that may uh, that may change how you got to build it. Exactly. To be a top like that. Yeah. Well, so uh, JT, so what are you working on in in your shop or? Yeah, manufacturing so, facility. <laughs> you know, it's still definitely a shop. Um, I wouldn't call it a, a full-fledged factory yet, um, but um, <clears throat> you know, it is thirteen hundred square feet on the first floor, and then and I got about six or seven hundred square feet in the basement, which is used for storage, and then some office space so that we aren't listening to the CNC running. And, <laughs> That kind of thing. And I, I share the space with another gentleman who's also an entrepreneur who uh, manufactures automotive parts, aftermarket parts for off-road. Oh, okay. Uh, so we, we bought the CNC together. And uh, so anyway, our, our space is uh, just a huge mess right now. But um, um, I am working on uh, the next batch of small squares, which are those... Mm-hmm. Uh, tiny little aluminum squares that um, also have a center mark feature on it. So I tried to uh, not release a copy of somebody else's tool into the market. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's certainly been fun. Um, How small are those squares that you mentioned? Sorry. You say, you say tiny. <laughs> roughly one and one eighth on the inside by two and one eighth on the inside. Okay. And then you add a half inch to that in both directions. Uh, For so it's two and five eighths tall and then mm-hmm. um, one and five eighths. Yeah, I think I'm doing my math right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty small square and it's a half inch thick. Um, and uh, because it's exactly a half inch, I actually use it for setup blocks and my own stuff. Sure. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, now you said it had a center mark feature to it? Yes, it does. So I include two small pins. Uh, mm-hmm. They're just quarter-inch pins. Um, 
The reason I made them quarter inch is in case people ever lose them, you could probably just use wooden dowels, <laughs> quarter inch mm-hmm. dowels from Home Depot. Um, but you place them in the speed holes <clears throat> that are in the part, and uh, there's a, a, a sixteenth of an inch hole in the square um, that allows for a mechanical or regular pencil to reach that hole. So there's a counter bore that's 11.30 seconds thick, or sorry, in diameter. So it allows for fairly large pencils to get in there. Right. And, uh, you know, that was developed <clears throat> in conjunction with other woodworkers. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a fun project and, um, <clears throat> did quite well considering, um, uh, you know, it's, it's not really a necessity, but it's certainly a nice to have type of tool um and uh convenient so i mean like i said i've got them laying around all over the place um granted i make them so it's a little <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i've got um i've got the like the woodpecker's mini square and it doesn't have any of the holes for doing anything else than that and, but it's and it's actually i think smaller than even that um it's, a little it's, smaller. It, it's it's good for nothing more than checking about a three-eighths inch chisel for square or, or maybe, I guess maybe half inch stock if I was like planning it to see, mm-hmm. but it's, it's so tiny. It was like a, that was one of their one-time tools, I think, that I snagged, snagged up because it was one of the cheap ones. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I've, I've used it from time to time, but yours, yours seems a little like it might have a little more utility. That'd be pretty nice to have. Yeah, just a, just a hair. Um, but, um, you know, and then the other thing that I'm working on right now is something called a dowel plate. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, mm-hmm. basically a piece of steel with a bunch of holes drilled in it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, mine again is a little different in that most dowel plates that you can buy either online or from in brick and mortar stores only have about seven or eight holes. And I've decided to go to seventeen. Mm. And the reason for that is I want. I read a lot of reviews on Amazon of people complaining about having to whittle the dowel between sizes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to make it to where you can start at a five eighths dowel and not stop going all the, all the way to one eighth. So you don't need to stop and whittle it down. You can just keep driving it progressively from one hole to the next because so you're each in hole 30 seconds of an inch. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So each <clears throat> each hole is a thirty second smaller, mm-hmm. and um, again, that was just something that I tested out, and uh, hopefully, people like it. Um, it'll be roughly the same price as the other dowel plates on the market. And yeah. uh, I uh, I picked up a Lee Nielsen years ago, and have used it, but it's yeah, same thing. I definitely have had to take a blade out and chisel the end of it to uh just to fit through that first you know whatever yeah to uh but yeah no that's a that's a nice nice idea to just and i'm sure it's not incredibly more work other than now you've got to etch in all those different sizes yeah for the person that needs the 11 64ths (laughs) you know (laughs) hole and they need to know exactly which one that is yeah what i'm curious about is you said it goes up to uh five eighths of an inch which is a lot uh, bigger, I think most of them start stop at about a half inch. Is that correct? Well, I, I'm fairly certain that Lee Nielsen goes up to five eighths. I'm gonna um, go get mine. I'll tell you in a second. Hold on. And then, <laughs> and then I can 
verify for sure that there's another company that sells them on Amazon and it goes up to five eighths. Right. Okay. Because uh, that's a real handy um, dimension for chair makers or Windsor chair makers is five eighths of an inch because uh, a lot of the stretchers that uh, connect the legs are usually uh, drilled out at five eighths of an inch. So it's a real nice way to uh, to make a, a tenon quickly. Sure. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, stretcher, yeah. <laughs> I've accidentally made quite a few tenons uh, trying to drive <laughs> a piece of maple through the five eighths hole, and uh, if you don't whittle it down far enough, it will not go through. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that sounds sounds nice. So um, now, tell us before we get into it, because I, I want to get into a lot of uh, the other tools that you have. Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So I am a mechanical engineer by training in college. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was a manufacturing engineer at Toyota for five years, doing mostly uh, assembly type work, but I also did die casting and machining. Mm -hmm. um, and I then did some factory automation within Toyota. And then uh, for family reasons, I moved away from Toyota and uh, um, sold warehouse and distribution automation, which you may have seen, you know, news articles and things like that about Amazon's technology while I was selling that kind of technology and designing it. And then, um, oh, cool. then I worked for a defense contractor here in Chicago um, and uh, <clears throat> did mostly fuel and water storage. Um, and then uh, three years ago, I became an independent consultant uh, helping other manufacturers with their technology needs and uh, kind of have found a niche now in doing mostly robotics. So, um, you know, a lot of different things in the last 13 years, but it's all been uh, manufacturing focused, technology focused. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's that's my background. That's, so uh, so way more interesting than most yeah. of my uh, that we've heard. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> So what got you into woodworking tools of all things? Well, so um, probably two years ago, I wanted to – I'm I, I'm still a member of a space here in Chicago that you could think of as like a small business incubator that has mm -hmm. the elements of a maker space, um, meaning I had a lot of equipment at my disposal for a, a low monthly fee to, to, to use them. And um, I, I recognized that people were making a lot of money, not a lot, but uh, some money doing e-commerce. And um, so I started doing research on something that I could make to sell online and on Amazon. And one of the things that I discovered was something called a cedar uh, grill scraper, which is basically replacing the steel bristles on the scraper with just a spatula almost. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, I've seen those. And you can burn your own individual grates into your scraper so that it does a better job cleaning. And um, so when I started posting those on, on Facebook and Instagram, uh, you know, lo and behold, a bunch of grillers didn't come out and say, oh, that's really cool. A bunch of woodworkers came out and said, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that kind of, you know, I didn't pick up on the first post, but by the second or third, I was recognizing that there's a lot of woodworkers looking at these hashtags, I would assume. Mm -hmm. and, uh, 
so then I, you know, discovered the woodworking community and uh, the keyword scraper, you know, between the grill scraper and now the card scraper. Right. Uh, kind of led me to the card scraper. Um, mm-hmm. So I was researching, well, you know, do people buy card scrapers on Amazon? And and they do. Yeah. So in fact, I did. And one of the <laughs> things that I recognized was um, there are no at the time there were no American made card scrapers, and I just thought to myself, well, that's kind of silly. Um, uh-huh. Why not? So I, I decided to make a couple, post them to Instagram, and people liked it. So then I decided, okay, well, I'm going to buy several hundred dollars worth of spring steel and mm-hmm. and, um, and put it out there on Amazon. And it did pretty well. And so, honestly, if that had not gone well, uh, DFM Toolworks would not be around today. Um, because if you go back in my feed far enough, you'll see that my name used to be FBA Manufacturing, which means fulfilled by Amazon, which actually is a trade- <laughs> so once i learned that that was trademarked (laughs) i changed my name but uh but anyway like i said it it all started with a a wooden grill scraper and uh has morphed into several different varieties of card scrapers and uh, now a small square and some brass hammers and marking knives and um hopefully it'll keep growing so well yeah yeah and it's great because um now i know i want you to talk a little bit about your affiliation with uh mark spagnolo the wood whisperer but that's where i first uh heard about your card scrapers as i was attending a a class that he was doing or lecture that he was doing at last year's um uh fine woodworking live and um after the uh, class we're talking and he goes hey kyle have you seen these scrapers and uh he showed me one of your scrapers which was super thick and i was like wow that would be fantastic for um for the chair making community because they use a lot of scrapers in the uh, uh carving of the seats and uh other things uh, especially you know doing you know once you saddle a seat then um you usually take a traverser to it and then you gotta scrape it and uh it's been really a fantastic tool so um you know and you know you you sell various thicknesses of it and i think you have like one that's kind of thin and a medium and then a real thick one um and um your medium is thicker than most every scraper i've seen and i haven't i haven't seen your thickest one yet i think i ordered the medium one and uh but it's really fantastic i must say yeah no it's uh appreciate that and um yeah i i'd have to go back into the vault of emails to see exactly when mark and i started talking but um Basically, I dug around and um, found on YouTube somewhere that he said, you know, the best way to contact him would be to send him an email. And um, what's funny is Nicole, I guess, is the gatekeeper on that email. Right. Uh, because I, when he finally replied back, it was that only after she forwarded it to another email that I guess is his real email. <laughs> so, ah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway... Um, yeah, no, Mark, uh, 
has been great to work with. And um, the way we got started on uh, a collaboration was um, it wasn't right away, mm-hmm. but you know, probably two or three months after I first reached out to him, he said, "Hey, uh, would you be willing to do fifty card scrapers for some sort of guild?" Um, uh, for any better word, like a goodie bag almost. Mm-hmm. And I said, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> here's how you can buy 50 of them. And um, and then um, I guess that went over well. You know, he got feedback from people like yourselves uh, at different uh, trade association things. And then I guess he had the confidence to put it out on another YouTube video for Christmas. And that's really where, um, you know, it it definitely kind of changed the way we work together because he effectively pre-sold quite a few of them out of respect for his privacy. I I would just say it's a lot Mm -hmm. Uh, more than I ever. The Oprah effect, huh? (laughs) Sorry? (laughs) The Oprah effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so just for some context, um, that 50 mil thickness, I had, I had never, I had never sold even close to a tenth of what he sold in one minute of one video. So, <laughs> you know, effectively um, on that particular product, now you can only buy it from Mark, uh, mm-hmm. simply because <clears throat> I couldn't sell it nearly as well on Amazon, and so I'm happy to let him have that. Uh, card scraper thickness. So, I, I'm uh, going to guess that that's that's non-flexible or not easily flexible. It's it's definitely not flexible, and right. um, you know he liked it because of the uh, the thinner cards can sometimes hollow out your surface a little bit. Sure, depending on how how yeah. thick your thumbs are and you're pressing on them. I've got a set of two, and one of them's a little thicker, and definitely the little one feels flimsy. When you're when you're using it, because you can, I mean, you could almost potato chip the thing. I mean, it's it, I don't know the thickness of it offhand, but it's it's super thin and flexible. So I, yeah, I've not gotten my hands on yours, but yeah, that would be nice to have a nice thick edge, and yeah, no doubt it would it would be a, a little uh, I mean, go through the material a little better, and mm-hmm. and the, yeah, the not flexing thing would be great, and probably not even as much heat transfer. Yeah. Well, in, in using his, they're much easier to use than any of the thinner scrapers yeah. uh, out there. It's just, it's fantastic. Uh, one of the, um, I guess, uh, someone once told me, if your hands aren't hurting, you're not using the scraper right. <laughs> right. And and uh, that's pretty true, except for yours. You can actually use yours and get decent results without having to contort your hand and, you know, just have all that pressure and, and um, I guess, stress on your hand. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's fantastic because uh, I use yours a lot. And then for some of the rough work, I uh, use some by, um, what is it? Is it James McDonald that makes the real super thick ones for luthier work? Yeah, that yeah. name sounds familiar, and they're like an eighth of an inch th- thick, I believe. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. I use that for some rough work, but I usually come back for tears with uh, doing some finish work. Yeah, no, and um, I would say that me personally, um, I do, I don't want to say I have large hands, but they're definitely not small. And um, mm-hmm. I like the six by three inch 
uh, rectangle size much better than the five by two and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know people love to buy the five by two and a half, so mm-hmm. uh, that's the that most too. popular size. Yeah. And uh, me personally, I like the thirty-two or the forty-two mil thick in that size. Um, mm-hmm. But I ask, quite honestly, I don't have a whole lot of time for woodworking. But when I do, um, those are my preferences. And yeah. um, you know, I've done custom logos for James Wright as well. So I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with him. Very. But uh, you know, he also commissioned uh, a bunch of card scrapers and included a magnet so that you don't burn your thumbs as quickly. <laughs> I was oh. just going to mention that. Like, that was the old adage was get your pizza delivery magnet, you know, uh, to put on the back there. And it purely for heat conservation or, or protection to just keep you away from the surface as it's. And I think most of that's in the bending and the pressure you're putting on it. Well, the cutting of the wood actually generates a good, yeah. good heat. So, yeah. Um, there's a reason when I'm machining things, I throw a bunch of water all over it mm, to mm-hmm. take the heat out. Mm-hmm. Um, Not fair. So, um, yeah, no, you're you're yeah. <clears throat> mechanically well, breaking something. Sure. Well, we've talked we've talked a little bit about your tools, but I think probably what we need to uh, as to uh, touch on is how can folks get a hold of your tools what's the best way for them to you know to look at them and then of course uh, purchase them well the majority of my tools um i'd probably say 90 percent are on amazon okay um, if you just search dfm toolworks i will mm. typically show up as the top result on amazon okay um and the other way too is my instagram profile um you know i have what's called a link tree which means i've got eight or nine links but the second from the top is my amazon store um so i am a, a real brand which means i have a trademark um, right. on my name and that's required in order to have a store on amazon so say so you, you uh, say take that etsy crowd is that you're like more legitimate well, you know i still do my custom logo card scraper so if anyone wants their logo or their name or text on the card scraper i sell that through etsy Mm -hmm. simply because etsy um doesn't require standardized products whereas amazon i could not do it right um very easily um so i still use etsy um but i will probably get away from etsy Simply because I I already have a website that can take credit cards and all that other stuff. So, um, and that you know would bring me to the only things I do not sell on Amazon would be like the brass hammers, and um, might as well share on this podcast. I do have a new plane blade that I've kind of been sitting on because it's very expensive. <laughs> I've seen it, in <laughs> and I'm not Instagram sure things. how to release it. Sorry, I said I've seen it in your Instagram feeds. Little, I think that yeah, I, I was just scrolling and I saw something. It was on a yeah, them all lined up. It, I don't know yeah, why you posted it. It's a two-inch plane blade. Yeah, and it's uh, made from the same uh, powdered metal as the marking knives. Okay, and um, so what that means is it has higher edge retention, which just means that it it doesn't dull as quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you may be familiar with another tool company that sells powdered metal blades. <laughs> mm-hmm. Lee, Lee Valley. And, 
They, and, that's um, their PVM line of, of edge tools, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you know, I would say these are. I haven't been able to put together a legitimate test to really compare them, but I can tell you that the chemistry of my steel would lend itself to lasting even longer. So, hmm. all right. And the reason for that is I've I've done chemical analysis of of that particular steel, <laughs> and um, so I know what's in it. And, uh-huh. um, that doesn't mean that it's not as good or better. Um, mm-hmm. But for example, you know, I don't believe that a plain blade steel should be the same as what's in a chisel. So the steel that I'm using in these plain blades, I would not recommend for a chisel because they aren't meant for impact. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does yeah. any sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I all I'm doing is is taking specific applications and applying specific materials. Um, in a different way it's not a better way it's just different mm-hmm. and um so like i said i i would not recommend this it probably do fine as a chisel but i'm trying to come up with an even better uh steel combination or chemistry and heat treatment and there's more to it than just the chemistry so right mm-hmm. um meaning if you overcook it it'll become brittle Right, uh, and or that, too soft. Right, so, and uh, that's with with an edge like that. That's that's your thing. You want you want it to be able to take an edge, so it's got to be fine grained, which I think the powdered metal kind of does pretty well by itself, right? But then you the whole impact thing. You don't want it to be too brittle, but be able to stand up some in in that a slicing motion, right, as opposed to a, a you know an impact. Yeah, There's, and so I, I've I've had. Um, Two different gentlemen who I uh, very much trust their opinion on what is a good plane blade, and they've given it the thumbs up. Uh, certainly, in terms of all-around usage, mm-hmm. um, it may not be perfect for your smoother that's trying to take half a thousandth. Mm-hmm. But they said that they put it to work, and it lasted quite a while. Um, just doing. Uh, typical uh stock removal so um so i i'm comfortable selling it i'm just you know i wanted to put it on amazon but quite honestly amazon takes enough of a commission where i'm not sure anyone would be willing to buy it on amazon Mm -hmm. so um Hmm. that probably be a website thing is is that a a problem i mean just talking general about selling on amazon that you you've got to adjust your pricing a little bit or see that you know you've got to uh, uh, uh yeah i mean adjust just for how much they're going to charge you for listing it there and shipping and all the other stuff that they involve right so what i would say about amazon is amazon for example is great for the card scrapers because 15% of say $10 is only a dollar 50 mhm but when we go to a $50 tool like that marking knife you know now we're looking at seven dollars and fifty cents in commission and Mm -hmm. the metal is so expensive that quite honestly i i break even on that marking knife on amazon right now because of the advertising costs Mm -hmm. which are not part of the commission yeah but it's how i get people who don't know know who i am on instagram to my listing because if i didn't advertise 
I wouldn't sell any, to be quite honest. Because I'm not the cheapest. Right. So the only way I can get people to view my product on Amazon is to advertise it for that particular blade. So, you know, I'm never going to have tools that I purposely run limited. But what I would say is if things don't sell well, they will become um, that, that trademark term. So, I mean, they're, they're one and done. Yeah, yeah, so, they're all one-time tools, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, those plain yeah, blades, those look, uh, those look very interesting, very interesting. So you said those are what, uh, for a number four? Number and four and a number five. Yeah. Right. And um, the one thing that I need to still do is borrow somebody's Lee Nielsen uh, plane, because mm-hmm. I've read that some people need to modify... Um, where the lever cap, not where the lever cap, I'm, I'm going to mess this up, but that. Oh, where the uh, chip adjuster breaker. to. Uh, yeah, where the chip the breaker yeah. um, attaches. Um, that might need to be filed out a little bit. Okay. And mm-hmm. I, basically what I would do is I would actually pre-grind it so that it would basically be two different versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, one for everyone else using mostly a Stanley or or that style of, of older plane and then mm. um, a Lee Nielsen version because <clears throat> people might get a little frustrated trying to figure out why it doesn't fit. So, um, and that actually came because I even recognize that because Mark asked me, hey, does it fit in a, a Lee Nielsen? And I'm like, well, I'm not sure yet. So hmm. I'll get back to you. And I, quite honestly, I haven't figured out the time to figure it out yet. So... Um, but that is something that's already made. Um, mm-hmm. I've just been sitting on it, uh, waiting for the right time. So hopefully that'll be soon. Well, good, good. So, so, um, so I think what does Mark use? He uses a bevel up smoother, doesn't he? So would this uh, be for mainly bevel down? I would assume, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a bevel down blade. Yeah. Um, I will have bevel up blades, you know, in the near future, mm-hmm. um, but not in the next two months. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, but, but yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't mind doing a jack plane, for example. Yeah, like the sure. sixty-two. Mm-hmm. That would be a fun one to do. Uh, I think it's a pretty plane in general. Mm-hmm. Um, for me. I've been trying. I've been toying with how I can make a block plane or a or a regular bench plane without the extreme. Well, not extreme, but the high cost of uh, casting. So right. So the thing about casting is the first part is five thousand dollars. <laughs> the second part is not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but quite honestly, at my size, um, I could spend five thousand dollars on a lot of material and just machine them so um I, i'm i'm i'll figure that out and maybe i'll call you guys up and and uh, <laughs> have, a, have a yeah new product announcement yeah that would be fantastic seriously yeah I, we're open for that that's fine yeah uh, yeah so is it in that case is it is there some I, balance between the cost of of uh you know, mo- pouring into a mold as opposed to machining away from billet, like 
there's yeah. less less waste in the poor, but maybe you can more bulk buy, purchase a material because you're going to mill it kind of thing. Yeah, and so a lot of that is just a volume question. So, sure. you know, if I want to do bronze, um, that lends itself much more quickly to casting mm-hmm. than, say, a steel body where the price per uh, cubic inch is a lot uh, less for steel. So I can afford to just mill it away. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Whereas bronze, I didn't even try. I mean, <laughs> y'all would not want to buy a... Well, some people buy $600, $700 planes or $2,000 planes, but... Right. They're a very niche market, but yes, there there are there are those. Yeah, yes. and I, I'm not against maybe making one of those for promotional purposes, but... Um, you're not going to see it in an Amazon store or even no. on a website. No, no. What you need to do is is mill a moving Philister plane. Okay. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll write that down because I'm yeah. not sure what a Philister plane is. Uh, it's it's well, anyway yeah it's got a a, a a fence on rails and oh, yeah. uh, it's one of the most beautiful tools and there are very ornate ex- uh, versions of them throughout history. Uh, and uh, they're they're the most expensive as far as I know, because they're just they're I think they're incredibly hard to make, and yes. involve a lot of parts and pieces. Well, I think they're incredibly hard to make a good one. Yes, that's true. Yeah. There you yes, go. I mean actually, right now I think Lee Valley has one, or yeah. or yeah, um, which probably is is as good as any. But I mean, Stanley didn't even have the good success of moving of having anything like that in, for too long. Yeah, yeah, they they made something. some, but they're finicky as hell. They're, yep, they look yep. nice sitting on your bench, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah, they're in every tool museum because they're pretty to look at, but they're hard as hell to use. But well, that sounds. I mean, that sounds. You know, one of the things I was going to uh, ask you is, what do you have in the pipeline? But uh, sounds like your pipeline is quite full. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I would. I would say that uh, more plane blades would be coming before a plane itself. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I will be working on some chisels. Mm-hmm. Um, almost as a personal project, even if people don't want to buy them, that's okay. I just I just want to prove out a concept that I that I have. And um, I'll tell you what, the first one's going to be quite beautiful so mm-hmm. oh uh, so are, are you thinking of a of a what well, is it called like a socket style chisel um as opposed to a full tang or a combination yeah or some combination yeah. between you you could think of it as actually being modeled after um ibc makes a full tang mm-hmm. okay where it's a screw together type assembly yeah and I really like that because I can guarantee the woodworker that they're never going to split their handle. Right. And that construction will last a lifetime. So uh, it'll be very similar. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, the first one, you know how, like, people go to car shows to, to SEMA? Mm-hmm. To see mm-hmm. a car that they'll never be able to buy, but it looks really cool. <laughs> well, yep. I'm, I'm tr- 
trying the same thing out with a chisel, um, where nobody's going to want to buy it because it's going to be, you know, if you wanted to buy it, uh, even if I were to make 50 of them, they'd still be several hundred dollars a piece. Um, never say never. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is a, there is a great tool collector market out there. So yes, and yeah. and there is such a thing. You've already you've already touched the the wood whisperer community. Is should you get into the Christopher Schwartz community? If if he so if he so much as says that he he used it, not even if he liked it, people will buy it. Interesting. Yeah. No. I. You know, you touch on a great subject, which is uh, influencer marketing. And mm-hmm. I, I just came back from WorkbenchCon, which is one oh, of my yeah. voice. My oh, voice yeah. doesn't yeah, sound like normally. <laughs> but that's the aftermath of uh, three or four days of, of talking the entire day uh, over loud music, typically. So mm-hmm. over other people <laughs> nearby. <laughs> um but yeah, no, I, I think you guys can expect to see some more collaborations, if you will, with some other uh, woodworkers, uh, some who are less traditional than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but also some other names that. Um, You're not going to make you know, plain I, blades for a giant plane, are you? <laughs> no, you know I I saw that in person, and uh, you know I talked to to Zach briefly about it. Um, uh-huh. He described the process by which he made it, and I was quite impressed that he used. Uh, he did not use a CNC machine to do it, so he did a great job uh, milling that slot out. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, it, it was cool. I got to hold the massive screwdriver as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we we were just talking. We were wondering about uh, the plane blade that you were coming out with you said you might have to modify it a little bit for the lee nielsen is it a difference between the regular stanley and the lee nielsen or is it between the regular stanley and the bedrock design because we know the lee nielsen is based off the bedrock design stanley's um i would say that this is i guess what they call the record style okay um regular stanley meaning yeah um, is it the adjuster that's the issue? I believe it's the adjuster and the chip breaker. And okay. so that's probably the other piece of the puzzle that I've also been holding off on these plane blades is yeah. mentally it's easier to have the excuse of, oh, I want I need to make chip breakers first. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do it. So And before long you're making an entire plane. <laughs> well yeah, I, I was gonna exactly. ask you if you were gonna follow <laughs> up the blade with a chip breaker because that's what like Ron Hawk does. I think yep. you yep. can you can you can get both, and it's nice when they're milled to be flat together, as opposed to my antique Stanley that has a little curved edge and it only touches in a point, and there's really no support behind that contact, so there will be vibration. You know. Yeah, you know, um, I, I'd certainly go for that thicker tip, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of want to study it a little bit more, though, because you know I've certainly done some research to try to understand uh, the importance of it. And coming from machining background, you know, we have our own chip breakers. They're just all in one piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> meaning, meaning, you know, if it wasn't too expensive, you would just get one solid piece with the distance between the edge and the, um, the breaker, if you will, um, 
set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then you would grind both of them. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I don't think you guys want to do that, and I don't blame you. So yeah. Um, and and just like in machining, it's normal to actually have different. Uh, I don't want to call it a land, but there's a space between the tip of the bevel of your blade and then the chip breaker itself, and that varies in different materials. So yeah, different angles, um, different materials. I mean, there's I'm, there's volumes written about what how what and how to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so all I would say is. Um, not only volumes, like but very heated discussions. discussions, too. Yeah, heated discussions as well, yes. Yeah, I, I would love to see some more science and woodworking in general. I don't want to take us too far off track, but what I no, would say please. is that as an engineer, yeah. uh, you know, I'm looking for data sets out in the Internet, and mm-hmm. some people have done some very interesting things that you know a statistician would tell you is not real science, but... It's pretty close. I mean, yep. it's it's better than zero. Yeah. Um, have Have you seen some of the research? I think it was the Japanese company that did some research on how far the chip breaker should be set from the edge of the cutting, or uh, how far back it should be from the cutting edge. And uh, there's some video out there about them doing that and finding out that, you know, as close as you can get it is usually the best. But I don't know if you've seen any of that. I've certainly seen the um, different people's interpretations from it. Yeah. I've tried clicking on the links for some of those videos, and they're so old that they were taken down. But Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> maybe there needs to be it. Well, maybe I just need to find it on YouTube somewhere. But. It's the Internet. It's out there somewhere, right? Sure. No, no, no. everything. <laughs> yeah, there. Wilbur Pan had that stuff posted out there somewhere. I'll uh, if I can find it, I'll I'll shoot it out to you. Yeah, no, it'd be appreciated. I um, but like I said, I, I would want to have my own information at some point. Um, oh yeah, but make your own tests. Yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, like I said, I think. Uh, in my opinion, um, a lot of these tools haven't changed a whole lot in the last 200 years, mm-hmm, and sure. there's some good reasons for it. You know, now that I'm trying to actually manufacture things, I'm like, oh well, this is why the bench plane has 20 different moving parts in it because mm-hmm. to make it all one piece, you know, not everyone's going to like it if you if you try to make it in six parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, is it the same like, same thing like the bicycle, like? It largely hasn't changed since its inception because that design actually does work pretty efficiently. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, let's just like I said uh, to to circle it all back. You know, I, I don't expect a plane, a bench plane, coming from <laughs> me too soon. Um, but like I said, um, I'll, I'll happily um, try to improve on some things. And I think, you know, in order to have more flexibility it's good to have all those parts to adjust i just think that some woodworkers are probably better off not adjusting a whole lot once they get it dialed in um mm-hmm. you know like yeah. the the mouth openings and all this other stuff you know it um i i think that's where the the difficulty in testing is is because those those adjustments are for if you're 
dealing with hardwood or softwood or tropical wood or you know like there's so many variances in what you're going to be working i mean it's it's it there's some parallels that has to be to machining because not every steel is the same right i mean you've got something or i mean steel to, aluminum to whatever i mean there's different ways of addressing it so you can't it's hard to make something that works for everything so you have this adjustability and then the user just kind of has to know what to do it's the reason that there's little guides on every drill press to say what tension or what speed to do at, at different drill diameters and stuff like that. You know, it, yep. there's not one simple fix for it. You've got to have operability in, involved in it somehow. And I would mm-hmm. tell everyone out there, pay attention to that chart. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. want to burn up your tools, follow the chart. Yeah. Um, or, or scare the bejesus if you've got something a big bit or spinning at 3000 RPM. Oh my God. Yep. <laughs> oh, speaking of that, that, you know, I was talking about the bits earlier, that star M manufacturing, you should see some of the circle cutting bits they have. Oh, they're fairly scary. Yes. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> like, but they look nice. Um, but, um, before we wrap things up, um, one of the questions I had for you is what is your favorite tool you've, uh, produced so far? Ah, well, you changed the question a little bit because I, I was thinking about what, what's my favorite tool. We'll get into that. that. We'll get into that, that in a minute. <laughs> okay. Well, the favorite one that I've made so far, uh, it's tough. I, I guess I would still say the card scraper. Um, okay. Simply because um, there's not a whole lot to change on it now, so so I can sleep at night and and know that it's a pretty good product. Um, yeah, I've got 51 reviews on Amazon right now, and That's pretty good. Uh, most of them are favorable. Is and that one where it's pretty simple? As soon as you secure the stock, the cuts are square, and there's not much else going on with it. Is that why it's like? Is well, that why it's one I of your think favorites? one of the things that I've done, you know, I read a lot of reviews on the card scraper before I ever launched it, and um, one of the things that people complain about was the. Um, the finished edge that came from the manufacturer was not very good. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so for the first several thousand card scrapers, I actually hand filed every single one before it went in a bag um, to, to Amazon. Mm. And now that I have a bigger shop, I now actually surface grind all of them. So they're all perfectly 90 degrees. W- well, you know, within reason, within reason. Um, right. And they're super flat. So uh, I'm the only manufacturer that I'm aware of that surface grinds their card scrapers. So <laughs> I still get a few complaints of why is it not pre-burnished. And rather than try to defend myself, I will just say on this podcast that uh, everyone has their version of a good burr. Mm-hmm. And my burr might work well for my technique it might not work as well for you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, well, granted, my burr would probably work great for a lot of people because getting the burr is the hardest part. Right. Um, but then I'd have to charge a lot more money, too, because um, I honestly don't know how I could protect that edge mm-hmm. going through the U.S. Postal Service. Yeah, no way. And UPS. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> sorry, guys. I'm never going to pre-burnish them ever yeah right uh, yeah, you, could, all, you could do yeah, like amazon does. you could send that card scraper in a uh i 
I mean, a basketball-sized box, yeah. <laughs> all with padding. All with padding, yeah. Suspended exactly. in the middle. Well, you know. well, I, I think you're bringing up a good point about the size of the burr because it all depends on what you're using it for. Sure. Because um, I got I got scrapers that hey, I want a big hunking burr on it uh, for some fast stock removal. Some finish scrapers that hey, yeah, I want those things to have a minimal burr to you know just you know finesse uh, an edge or a, a curve. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's right. So so like I said. But um, uh, the card scraper's been great for me, and um, I, you know, I love my small square, but it drives me crazy sometimes making it. So, <laughs> well, um, it's not. It's that's why it's not my favorite right now. It's not your favorite. Well, it sounds like it's one of my favorites. I don't have one, but it sounds like I need to pick one up. Get one. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, I think there might be one or two left of a gold color on Amazon, and otherwise, you're going to have to wait a couple weeks. I've Ooh. Uh, sold through them all. Okay. Well, I guess yeah. I know what I'm doing after the recording hate- tonight. <laughs> well, let me, I might check before you get off just so you're not too disappointed. But <laughs> uh, Don't worry about it. Um, there will be more. Um, there will be more. Well, good. Yeah, my, my business model is around um, uh, having products available when people are ready for them and then when they need them. Mm-hmm. So I don't want people to buy tools uh, simply because they feel like they're going to disappear. And then you've got a tool that you've never used before and you, it continues to sit there because you don't have a project that you actually need it for. Right. So... <laughs> So I want people to buy the tools when they're ready to buy them. Now, with that said, I do offer a discount when I launch tools to help me recover my tooling costs a little more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the only reason there's that discount is, um, unfortunately, I don't have lots of cash. So um, the faster they sell, the faster I get to make the next tool. So There you go. Okay. Um, but yeah, and then in terms of my actual favorite woodworking tool, um, it's the combo square. So I, I love that it can do a lot of different things. Um, it's usually very accurate. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. yeah, I use it all the time, not just for woodworking, metalworking, yeah. everything. So. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, I have a, uh, I guess... What do I want to call it? A fetish for uh, marking tools. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but with that said, and that omission, um, <laughs> what do you say we uh, move on to our fortnightly beer choices? Um, so, good for that. Go for it. What do you got, Kyle? Well, I got a Austin uh, company or Austin brewery called Cellus, if I'm pronouncing that right. It's C-E-L-I-S. And I'm drinking their Grand Cru, which is a Belgium-style uh, triple, triple L. And it's actually very, very good. Mm. Um, I've never had it before and uh, mm-hmm. saw it in the store and said, that looked interesting. So, um, yeah, it's great. So, Sean, what are you drinking? Uh, I did something similar. I walked in the store and I said, well, that looks different. I haven't had that before, although it's from a brewery I've had plenty of. Uh, I went back to the Dogfish Head Tap today and... Uh, mm-hmm. I saw their uh, the perfect disguise double IPA, which I I'm trying to figure out why they call it the perfect disguise because it's definitely IPA ish. <laughs> um, 
It's a little sweeter. Uh, dry hopped Indian pale ale. That's nothing new to them. Yeah, I don't know. But it's pretty good. Um, uh, you know, a deeper double IPA it comes in at like 8%, so it's not their heaviest double IPA. They actually have IPAs that are heavier than this double up. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, but it's not like, it's not like offensively hoppy, yeah. which is nice. But yeah, very good. JT, cool. how about you? What's your favorite drink of the evening? Well, um, to be honest, I haven't had a drink since Sunday, so I'm recovering. <laughs> what did you have on Sunday then? No, <laughs> well, um, you know, certainly when I was in Atlanta, I drank a lot of what's called the Sweetwater 420, mm-hmm. that, which is a pale yeah. ale, I believe. Uh, is I'm it very pale or is it an IPA? I, I don't know. It's an ale, for sure. I believe it's a pale ale. Um, right. And then, you know, if you were to ask me what beer I would recommend that I think maybe has become national enough would be something called a Half Acre Daisy Cutter. Okay, so I don't know if funny. Half Acre's made it to your neighborhood yet. I've... I'm four hours away from you, and I've never heard of that. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I, now I'm going to go looking. Yeah, we'll have to look for that. I haven't heard it either, but yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it's not Goose Island, which I'm pretty sure is now national. Yeah, oh, that's yes, national. for sure. Uh, and they actually have a pretty good IPA. Yeah, uh, they do. For the price. For the price, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, no, half, half Acre. I was in, I've been in Chicago twice in the last two years, and I still didn't see that brewery. Highly, they have a physical storefront um, in the north side of Chicago, and uh, they're certainly all over the Midwest for the most part. Um, yeah, I'll have to find out. I mean, I'm in Northwest Ohio. I'm legitimately not that far away. Yeah, um, states are weird, though. You know. With yeah, the I know. Like, laws. Do you get yeah, they are near you guys because I don't get nuclearis here. And uh, it's technically, you have to buy it in Wisconsin. Or I Wisconsin, think. yeah, yeah. So. That's a popular thing to buy and then bring home. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> nothing For sure. illegal about that. No, not at all. Uh, spotted cow. Yeah, that's a good good one from New Glarus. If you ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard of it. I've never yeah. never been able to partake. So. We well, have a great IPA here called More Cowbell. That's there cool. you go. Why is it yeah. cows? Cows and uh, and IPA. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Well, with that said, so uh, where can folks find you, JT, on the interwebs? I am at D as in dog, F as in Frank, M as in Mary, toolworks.com. And um, I need to update that site, but there are brass hammers uh, just awaiting the next happy owner. Um, But uh, otherwise, I I need to update it to... uh, take people back to Amazon if they are mm-hmm. interested in those tools. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I need to get back into actually posting content there. Um, Instagram takes up all my time. so mm-hmm. um, I understand but, uh, that. So, yeah, uh, so Sean, where can folks find you? Well, I am, uh, I'm not really posting to my blog anymore, so we'll forget that, but I'm at Sean W 78 on most uh, social medias including Untapped, uh, if you're a beer lover, and just my natural name on Facebook. How about you, Kyle? What do you, where, are you, where can you be found? Of course, I can only be found at barton.kyle on Instagram. But uh, so that just about wraps it up for this show. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play Music 
or just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Then you'll never miss any of our exciting episodes. And while you're there, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening to the Modern Woodworkers Association. If you liked our show, be sure to visit Modern Association.com. You can follow the MWA on Twitter at, uh, at MWA underscore national or on Instagram at MWA underscore podcast or like the MWA on Facebook. The best thing you can do is tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our discussion. See if Diami can edit that out. So anyway. <laughs>